You're listening to In The Company, a podcast about humanising work and designing better working lives. Each episode is curated to provoke you to think more deeply about things that matter in your career and life and how to build your toolkit for how to thrive as a human in business today. We explore how we work from the inside out. I'm Kylie Lewis, and it's great to be in your company. Welcome. Today, we're in the company of Julianne and Glenn Mayer, founders of Subo, the reusable food bottle designed and made in Australia. Julianne took the leap to start the business in 2012, and in July 2017, her husband Glenn took the leap to leave his job in sales and join her full-time. From an idea that was born under a shower, today the Mayer family are changing the way parents feed their children. Welcome, Julianne and Glenn. Thank you very much. Nice to be here, Kylie. Hi, Kylie. Thanks for having us. Uh, It's my pleasure. Now, I just wanted to check, are the kids tucked up in bed? Yes, they are. We're very lucky to have a fairly strict bedtime routine. So, yeah, we've got uh, all the kids in bed. Now, it's pretty indicative of people who run their small business that we are recording this at night time, at the end of a working day, when the kids are in bed and we're back on the tools getting our work done. Um, so, we'll jump into what it's been like for you to, to start the business in just a moment. But before we do that, I would just wanted to find out a little bit more about when you guys were kids and the things that you, you liked doing when you were small. Yeah, so you might hear it in my uh, in my voice, my accent, but I'm I'm from Canada. So growing up in Canada, I love winters and playing ice hockey on the on the frozen pond. Uh, and I also loved outdoors. Um, I was very much into horse riding and pony club, um, and uh, water skiing at Bonnie Doon, which is very Australian. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so Australian. That's fantastic. So the quintessential Australian childhood there. It is, it was, yes, very much. So both really active, both outdoors, both on the move? Very much so, yes. Uh, we both like to get out and about and do activities and sports and things. So Yeah, now with kids, we're chasing after them and my son's following in my footsteps by playing ice hockey and Jules's got the girls interested in horse riding as well. So it looks like they'll be um, following in our footsteps. Yeah, so a really active lifestyle with the kids and being out and about, and um, and by the sound of it, also fueling the kids really well and being mindful about how to keep their energy up to do all of those things. Yeah, certainly. That's um, I guess part of what led into our business by um, making sure that we you know give them the proper foods, and um, we, we did a lot of homemade cooking, uh, especially when they were um, quite younger. We used to spend our Friday nights pureeing, mashing, portioning and freezing uh, the kids' meals for the next week. So gone were the days we were going out to nice restaurants and wine bars to pureeing, mashing and freezing food. Absolutely. It's the you know rite of passage for every parent to to uh, to get their pumpkin and, and put it into a puree. Now, um, you we we should just mention that you have three children and how old are they? So Murphy is our eldest, she's seven, uh, Hudson's our middle child, he's five, and Marley is our little girl, she's three. 
So really in the thick of it, in the thick of things in, in raising a family. So before we, before we get into just how you started the business, I'm really keen to understand what are some of the things that motivate people to start their own business? And I often find that that comes down to some of the core beliefs that they have. So I'd really like to ask um, each of you, what are, what are three things that you believe? Uh, I think our, our initial, um, I come from a particular entrepreneurial family uh, where uh, my dad, um, from when I can remember, had his own businesses. So business was always talked about at home around the, the kitchen table at dinner time. Um, so I think it's been in my blood um, to start my own business. And when we had kids, um, I think a driver for us is to be able to educate our kids the way that we want to educate them. Um, so to to do that, we know that we have to sacrifice and then it obviously needs to be a means to be able to do that as well. So two things, we sort of wanted to, I guess, leave a legacy for our kids um, and also have the freedom to be able to educate them the way that we wanted to educate them. Yeah. yeah and I guess for me, um, I guess three things that I believe in, uh, hard work pays off. We certainly want to show the kids that you know, we've been working hard at this business and hopefully it will pay off. Um, also, you create your own opportunities. So, um, that hard work leads into opportunities. And, and lastly, you, you treat people the way you like to be treated. So, um, you know, these are three things that we believe in and, and we try and pass on to our kids. Mm, fantastic. Well, it sounds like that's the fertile ground for going and making a leap and not just making a, a leap into self-employment, but to actually um, leap into entrepreneurship where you've created a new product. So could you please tell us a little bit more about Subo and what it is? So Subo is um, a reusable food bottle, like you would have a drink bottle for drinks. Um, it's actually a bottle for food. So instead of having the single-use squeezy pack that you buy from the supermarket or there now is reusable squeezy packs, um, it's non-squeeze and it's reusable and you can take it apart completely to clean it, um, which is always a bonus with, with parents. So it's perfect for foods like purees, mash, yogurt, smoothies, um, as Jules said, the types of foods that you see in the squeezing pouches. Um, and the reason why we made it non-squeeze is so that you can give it to younger children and you don't have to worry about them creating a wasteful mess by squeezing out the content. So um, I guess the idea is that the only way for the food to come out of the bottle is to sip on the silicon spout. And if you can get uh, the food into the child's mouth, you're 99% there of not making a mess. Absolutely. How much of it, how much food actually ends up all over their face or their clothes or you know, their arms? Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's certainly right. And then our first child, Murphy, was a bit of a messy eater. So I think you could say that she was um, part of the reason why we invented this product. Yeah. And so what is it that makes it unique? I think it's the mechanism that pushes up from the bottom. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So we have um, a cylindrical tube um, which creates the bottle and a, a moving platform. So the platform sits at the bottom of the food uh, and then you pour the food on top of the platform in the tube, um, you put the spout on the top and as they sip the food through the top of the spout, the platform automatically moves up and helps to push the food out. And it's really as easy as sipping water out of a, out of a straw. 
Yeah. So how did how did the idea for it come about? So uh, we, as being active people, um, we are fortunate to have a beach house in our family and we would go down, pick the kids up from childcare um, on a Friday night and I would be sitting in between two car seats trying to feed the kids dinner to, to beat peak hour traffic with a spoon and a bowl. It just wouldn't work. Someone had kicked the bowl and it ended up all over the car. Um, and I tried the squeezy packs, but being in the kids being at the age they were, they wanted to feed themselves. They'd grab the pack and squeeze it everywhere. Um, and then, again, travelling back to Canada, um, trying to feed kids on planes out of, you know, jars and frozen tubs and things I'd made at home. It just never worked. Um, and I also wanted to be able to feed them our own homemade food out and about while we're out, like at the park or while I was doing the grocery shopping or in the pram or on the way to the beach house where I could give them something they could feed themselves and it wasn't takeaway food or I wanted something more nutritious. Um, so that's how Subo came about. I wanted something that I, they couldn't squeeze <laughs> so I couldn't make a mess and I could put my own food in it. And so Jules came out of the shower one day with a um, toothpaste container, one of the old pump toothpaste containers, and said, have a look at this. Do you think we can use this to create a non-squeeze um, feeding pouch? Um, so I then managed to pull apart the, um, the toothpaste container and take all the bits out that I didn't need and, and put together our own homemade prototype to try and prove the concept and um, we took it step by step from there. So did you have an engineering background or an industrial design background? No, not at all, actually. we. So it was just a bit of a, um, a clunky looking prototype, to be honest. There was a bit of duct tape and um, it didn't look the greatest, but we managed to use that prototype to prove the concept and then take it to industrial designers where um, we were able to get their help to um, create a proper prototype um, and uh, it went from there. If I had have had a camera, I wish I had a, cam- had a camera that night because Glenn's face when I walked out of the shower with a toothpaste container and said, do you think we can feed our kids out of this? I wish I had that moment of that face that he had. Um, he thought I was crazy, but here we are today. And I think you join a long line of people who have had bolts of inspiration under the shower. It seems to be a very good place for contemplation and coming up with great ideas. So let's add that into the vault of, you know, good ideas that are born yeah. out of showers. We often call it the thing tank. <laughs> There's, there's certainly been a few ideas that have come out of the show that haven't really made it anywhere that have been <laughs> quite funny when we look back on it now. So, but um, yeah. This one made it. I think it should be an innovation tool that's added to curriculums is when all else fails, go and have a long shower. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> so why, what made you believe that you could actually create this product? So I think it was, it was definitely the homemade prototype when there was a, a bit of a light bulb moment once we um, pulled it all apart and, and used the parts that we need. Um, I think I tried yogurt out of it the first time and just how easy it was to, um, to, to feed myself the yogurt um, through this little prototype. Um, we then uh, went and saw the industrial designers and um, 
just to see the excitement that they had for such a, um, you know, um, an innovation. Um, so from there, we were able to get some government grants and just to, I guess, have people um, see the product and believe in it was a bit of inspiration for us. We also had, once we made our prototype, I then went and bought another half a dozen toothpaste tubes um, and we made a few and then we had some friends who were like, oh, that's great, can you make us one? So Glenn had a little bit of a a, a, a go at making some friends, some too, and once we sort of realised that there are other people that wanted this product and saw the need for it as well, I think that's when we thought, yeah, we could possibly commercialise this. Did you know an industrial designer or did you just get on Google and type or did you know to look for an industrial designer? So we had absolutely no experience in any of this. The first thing that we did was went into the study and Googled who makes drink bottles and how to make a drink bottle because that's what the closest thing, there was nothing on the market like it, but that was the closest thing that we could attribute to what we wanted and what we visualised. But it was really as basic as that and then we kind of fumbled our way through and we've been just really lucky that we meet one person they're like, oh, have you, you should speak to this person and we just had a, some really great referrals. So what, what were the biggest challenges to creating the product? Um, I would say, I guess, the, um, the manufacturing process for... Um, for us. So um, going from having a prototype that is specifically made um, with with tooling to going into mass production. So I'm trying to get the actual manufactured product to work like the prototype. Um, we do have some intricate parts that have small tolerances that need to be met. So um I guess that whole process of getting off tool samples um, and making these tiny little adjustments to get it to work exactly how we wanted it to work. Um, I guess we didn't expect that to be um, such a long process, but um, we're happy that we had the support from uh, local manufacturing and our uh, industrial designers to, to help us get through that period and ensuring that we had a product that we were 100% confident in it, um, the quality and, and how it worked. So it, the product is made in Australia, which is fantastic. Yes, that's right. So we made a decision early on to manufacture in Australia and we're backed by the Australian Made campaign. Um, so we manufacture in Melbourne, um, which we, looking back on our decision, we know now that it was 100% the right decision. Um, and we've, we've got a fantastic relationship with our manufacturer. And um, we also had the industrial designers who were local that were um, very much a part of the entire process for tooling. So there was two non-negotiables when we first, very, very first started this project. And one was that it was going to be the highest quality and functionality. And the other was it'll be Australian made. Um, so... Um, but with those two um, non-negotiables, they were really at the forefront of making a lot of decisions. Um, we were very lucky that in, through the industrial design process, our manufacturer would sit in on those meetings because what you design um, on a computer doesn't always translate into manufacturing. So he was always there to say, no, that's not going to work and this is what we should do and we can get around it this way. So 
our manufacturer has been absolutely pinnacle in the success of this pro- this project. He's been, I can't tell you how fantastic he's been in making sure we succeed and so does the product and it's of the highest quality. Now, can we just backtrack a second because um, what, so Glenn, you, you've been working in sales, you've got a history in sales, that's what you, you've been doing and you were working full-time all throughout this time? That's right. And what were you doing, Julie? I've um I've always worked full time as well, apart from taking the maternity leave with the three kids. Um, I've always worked full time, and I was an event manager. Event manager, mm. so I managed a function venue. Um, so I've been doing that for a long time now. So you were so both working for industrial design. <laughs> no, but <laughs> essential skills for being able to pull disparate people and things together in a coordinated way to produce an outcome, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, really transferable, important skills. So were you also working full-time at this point? Yes, absolutely. And I am actually still working full-time now. So Glenn's taken the leap to to move into the business full-time and then he's got with our plan is for him to, to do it and then for me to follow. So at the, at the moment it's Glenn that's left into the business full-time and, and you're still working yeah. as an event manager? Yeah. Yeah. So up until now, um, we've been working on the business from seven o'clock at night until midnight, and sometimes past that. Um, and then um, taking time off when we can um, to go to expos or important meetings to um, throughout the day. So yeah, we both been working. a juggle. Yeah. So it's taken it's taken five years from the initial idea and mocking up the concept from under the shower in 2012 to now being able to support one of you full time to take that leap. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to ask about that was was then what kind of support have you received from the startup community? Because you mentioned just before, Glenn, that you applied and received some grant funding. How did you get into the startup community to to know what was available or, or you know, to access resources that might be helpful? Yeah, so, um, again, I guess it's come through the relationships that we had with our local service providers. So, um, with our industrial designers, they had mentioned um, the uh, the Victorian state government grant program. I believe it was um, DBI, the Department of Business and Innovation, at that time that had a uh, innovation voucher program. That we we're lucky to um, get funding through, um, so that helped us with our industrial design costs. Um, and from there, we had met um, another. Um, I guess, um, what would you call Anna? Very influential or very... Um, oh, she's an amazing lady. She's got so many different hats she wears. Yeah, so we, we met uh, Elaine Zelcher, um, who was at that time part of the Commercialization Australia program, which was a federal government initiative um, through our industrial designer again. And... Um, we worked with her to get funding through Commercialization Australia, which helped us in the early stages with um, so market research, um, some IP uh, costs for intellectual property, um, tooling costs, and, and also industrial designing costs. Um, 
From there, we moved into another grant program through the federal government called Accelerating Commercialization. Again, um, uh, her case manager was on the Delta, and um, that uh, really helped us to get our tools and, I guess, helped us to get manufacturing in Australia. Had we have not, um, I guess, for lack of a better word, stumbled <laughs> across um, these uh, grant programs, this would never have taken off. They have been so instrumental in the success um, of the business to date um, because you know, financially we wouldn't have been able to support this alone. So, um, yeah, they've been absolutely fantastic and not only financially helped us but in mentorship as well. Um, they've connected us um, to a lot of fantastic people who just want to set you up to succeed. They'll do everything they can to give you the tools uh, to uh, really succeed in the project. And it's not always about the, the, the product itself. They also look at the people um, behind the product as well, which is really important. So Elaine um, has been really great in, uh, in boosting us up to succeed. Yeah, she's been a great supporter of ours. You always need somebody backing you in a corner, don't you, to kind of help champion the cause on the times when you are doubting yourself about, you know, the viability or are we crazy or how is this ever going to work? Absolutely. She's, yeah, always a phone call or an email away and just reminds you and helps you refocus, um, I think has been, yeah, really great as well. So, yeah, without these grant programs and we never knew about them, it was literally we were sitting in a uh, industri- a very early industrial when we're doing a due diligence um, and looking at different industrial designers. One of the ones we went to um, happened to say, oh, have you heard about the grant programs? And we're like, no. And he's like, oh, actually, I went to a conference yesterday and sat next to a lady called Elaine Belcher. You should contact her. And it just all unfolded from there and also our the industrial designer we chose um, in the end had had another client that was successful with the innovation voucher through the Department of Business and Innovation, and he then put us onto that. So that was through the state government, whereas Elaine worked for the federal government. Um, so it was really, again, just people, 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 just putting us in the right in the right direction. And also putting yourself in a position to to uh, to find those people as well. Um, but yes, I mean, it, seeing the the base of support that you had from the local government or the, the state government to then um, accessing f- federal government grants that's a that's a really helpful pathway for people to understand that that exists. I think absolutely. And yeah, if they could let more people know that they exist. Um, it is a very stringent application program uh, process, uh, but yeah, I think uh, to let people know that there is help in different many facets, um, both in mentoring um, and also financially through grants. Yes, and I think uh, Business Victoria have resources on their website for people to start to look at um, about the, the, the state government grants that people can access as well. So that's only a Google away. Absolutely, yeah. There's a lot of info- very, very useful information on there as well. Yes, and I've often spoken to people who have applied for grants and sometimes not been successful but have undoubtedly found the process to be really valuable because it's got them to think about things that they hadn't otherwise or perhaps 
to formalize the things that are running around in their head and actually get them down on paper to, you know, in a, in a sensible format. Yeah, certainly the, the application process was a huge learning curve for us. Uh, going through the different criteria that they ask you to meet has essentially helped us to form a, a business plan of sort um, in, in the early ages. So, um, yeah, it's been a really good process, really mm. steep learning curve. Yeah. So I imagine that there was a fair amount of uh, financial investment that needed to happen when you're talking about engaging an industrial designer and then engaging a local manufacturer and I'm guessing getting some custom tooling made and going through the prototype process. Um, was that Were you able to achieve that wholly through grant funding or did you need to tip in yourself? Um, yeah, so with all of the, the funding we had to... Um, uh, to tip in some of the money. So um, in the Commercialization in Australia program, it was 20% of the funding that we had to um, contribute. So yeah, the way that it was, sorry to cut you off there, the way that it works is different grant programs have different percentages um, that you're responsible for. So uh, the first innovation grant was uh, 75% for the government and 25% for us. The um, Commercialization Australia, um, the proof of concept grant was 80% the government and 20% for us uh, to fund personally. And the Accelerating Commercialization grant we're currently in is a 50-50. Um, so they do 50% and we contribute 50%. So um, yeah, different grants have different splits, I guess, of, of funding that you also need to, to come up with as well. Mm. So how have you managed that financially? I think we, um, very early on, um, we set a financial budget that I guess we were willing to risk um, with this business that um, because with business it's all a risk, uh, so it, it was all in the planning. Um, we very much had to sit down and, you know, understand that we were risking it. it you know, we might lose a lot, and but, you know, it's a learning process. So I think the planning and having a set budget, knowing the possibility that you could almost just go down the street and put it in the drain. Yes, it's it's that's the the uncertainty is often what holds people back from daring to take the risk. But it sounds like you've mitigated that by going we're 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 going to allow ourselves a certain degree of risk at this point, and th so that we can still sleep at night. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we we didn't want to be start this pro process and not be able to finish it. So we knew that it wasn't. It was going to be quite a substantial amount of money because we wanted to do it properly. Um, but we also had. You have to have the flip side of that. Is what if it doesn't work? Mm. So, mm. Yeah, I think it was all in the planning and knowing that that there are two sides to business. It's either going to work or it's not. Mm. Do you think growing up in an entrepreneurial family helped you with that mindset, Julianne? Absolutely. Um, yes, my family's very entrepreneur and they're also very, they're all financial side of entrepreneurship as well. So that's something that I've been able to bring, I guess, to the business um, is that side of it. I'm no expert by any means, 
Um, but I think I know the basics enough to, to know that there has to be a plan and there has to be an exit strategy. Mm, from the outset, you've had an exit strategy? Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, we've always, everything we've done. Glenn's a very, he's very big on due diligence and writing down your pros and your cons and what's the outcome of this and what's the outcome of that. So, yeah, I think together um, our different skill bases always help, but that's always been something big for us is what's the best case scenario and what's the worst case scenario and we have to be okay with both. Yeah, and tipping and this this seemed like a good enough risk to take. There's more on the pros side of the list than the cons. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also um, a factor of we would always regret if we didn't take the leap. And you don't want to live with regret. So that's something that we live by. This episode of In The Company is brought to you by the 2017 Small Business Festival, which is run by the Victorian Government in Australia and is designed to help startups and small to medium businesses go from strength to strength. Check out the festival website to find free and affordable events all across Melbourne and regional Victoria throughout the months of August and early September. There's over 500 events, including workshops, webinars, mentoring and podcasts just like this one. Visit festival.business.vic.gov.au to learn, grow and connect. So you mentioned that Glenn writes pros and cons lists. One of the questions that I have for you is about the pros and cons of working with your spouse in a startup. Right. So (laughs) there are pros and cons to working with your spouse. (laughs) Um, I would say the biggest... The thing that I've learned the most with working with Glenn is that our personal relationship, I guess our marriage, is very different to working together. It's almost like you see a different side to your spouse. Um, I see Glenn in our business life being, I guess, very specific um, and, you know, he likes things done a certain way, whereas that's the way I'm in our personal life. So it's like we flip roles in business to our personal life. So that's been something that we've had to, I guess, understand and learn about each other. Yeah, certainly. And I think, I guess, a pro for us is that we're constantly backing each other and I guess we're our own motivators. Um, you know, we, we both have our different skill sets and Julianne reminds me at times that, you know, um, I'm, I'm good at what I'm doing and so we, 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 we're very good at motivating each other. A con, I would say, is probably that becomes very easy to talk shop all hours of the day when we should be resting. Um, so it's, um, yeah, the pro is that we back each other and the con is that we, we probably talk shop too much. Absolutely. Mm. We finally, we get a night out once in a blue moon and we sit there and talk about the business. I think one night we went out for dinner and I pulled the laptop out of my handbag and Glenn's like, that's where I draw the line. <laughs> we are not bringing laptops out to dinner. <laughs> Mike, but this is good time management. <laughs> He's like, no, put it away. Have you learned any ways of kind of preserving, you know, that that romantic side of your relationship outside of the business? Yeah, we're certainly learning, I guess, to compartmentalise um, our lives. We've got, um, you know, we're business owners, uh, both working full-time, we're parents, um, but we also, you know, we, we 
do try and spend some time on our own relationship. And um, so, yeah, we, we do get some time out and, and we have to remind ourselves to, you know, put um, Subo aside and, and let's spend some time with each other. Um, I think, too, that um, Glenn and I have a very strong friendship. It sounds corny. But we do. We have a very strong friendship and we have from the minute we met each other. So um, sometimes it's, yeah, it's we have to keep reminding ourselves that business is business and our relationship is in our relationship. But, yeah, I think we've got a very, very strong relationship outside of the business. So, um, and we do. He's going to hate me saying this, but I, one night a month, Glenn colours my hair. <laughs> and it actually sounds silly. But it forces us to sit in the bathroom and talk. So there's no iPads, there's no laptops, there's no kids because we won't do it with the kids around. And he can, and it's actually a night that we both enjoy, but it's colouring my hair. So, yeah, he's probably going to hate me saying that. <laughs> Oh, well, I'm I'm putting in a vote for sound for saying that that is just a, a beautiful act of love. That if you guys can, can <laughs> squeeze that in and fit that around and and you know and and support each other that much, I think you you know you're in good hands. Yeah, I'm very lucky. He's a he's a fantastic husband. So. Sometimes we fight in business, but we never fight in our personal life. <laughs> or about hair colours by the sound of it. Yeah. It's funny. It's a bit odd because Glenn's like, why can't you go and get this done at the hair salon? I'm like, this is quality time. <laughs> so, but, yeah, we find we time. Yeah, fun. we have fun with it too. I think that's fantastic. What What do you wish you knew back in 2012 that you know now? I guess um, that there's help out there. We're pleasantly surprised. I think it's a daunting thing to come up with an idea and try and figure out your your path to market and, and how to commercialise the product. So um, it's amazing how much help there is out there. So had we known that back in 2012, I think um, you know we would have been a lot more confident going out there and getting the product out there. So... Um, yeah, just that there's help out there and um, just to know where to look for it. I think back when we started too, I don't think we gave ourselves enough credit on that we can do this. It was almost like at each stage we're like, oh, oh. You know, like we, we were awarded a, a grant and, you know, we successfully had the product designed. And so I think that I wish we gave ourselves more credit for our experience and knowledge um, and to really go for it um, and have that confidence in ourselves too. I find that a lot in the businesses that I work with is that people are actually a lot more competent than they give themselves credit for. And when they actually stop and think about the things that they have achieved, because they're often thinking about all the things that they haven't achieved, but when you take a moment to think about all the things that you do bring to the table and you are capable of executing and that you have in your toolkit to be able to draw on and and the skill base that you have, people are a lot more competent than they actually realize and I think that's why it's important like you said to have like an Elaine in your corner that can help you recognize and give you the kind of the nudges in the direction that you need but that you yourselves are the ones that have taken those opportunities and make and made the most of them absolutely 100 percent and hindsight's 2020 I wish we knew that back in 2012 Mm. 
Yes. And do you think that that would have enabled you to get to market a bit faster? Uh, there was, um, we did have a hold up early on. Um, so when we're in the grant process, the Commercialisation Australia grant was broken up into three different stages and we were successful in the first stage and we had put our application in for the second stage um, of that grant program and they literally closed it the next day because they had a change in government. So they stopped all the grant programs so, and we couldn't do, we couldn't financially support the business without the grant. So we had to wait, and I think it was 11 months before we could reapply for the new grant. So, yeah, that was a that was something that sort of held us up as well early on. But I think, too, hindsight, we probably should have taken the leap earlier, but you don't know that at the time. Yeah, I think you were starting to feel a lot more com uh, confident in the product and that... Um we're getting fantastic feedback from the market. And um, I think if we had been more confident in our own abilities, we probably would have taken that leap a little bit earlier. Mm. When, when did the product actually launch? In October last year, so about nine months ago. Mm. So early days. And how's it been taken up so far? It's literally like... I can't tell you how fantastic our customers are. Um, really, really supportive. Um, yeah, it's we haven't done, we haven't really pushed the marketing too much at this point. It's been a lot of um, word of mouth and social media to date, um, and we just find that once people buy the product, they're converted. They see the absolute benefit in it in so many different ways. And we've also opened up so many different new markets in schools and kindergartens, um, wanting to get away from single-use packaging foods um, and also um, cycling stores and golf clubs um, for an older market as well. So for, you know, parents on the go, for people, you know, riding their bike to work and wanting to have porridge and oats on the way to work, and they can with Subo because you don't have to tip it up to impede your view and it fits in the in the um water bottle the water cage. bottle cage in a in a bike and you know, ladies on the golf course that would normally take a yogurt and a banana in their golf bag and then eat them and then have wrapping so then they can mix it before they go and have it in Subo, sip on it on the way around and there's no wrappings. So yeah, it's it's been it's opened up a lot more markets as well. Mm, so it has a good sustainable aspect to it as well in that it's multiple, yeah. yeah, multiple use and cuts down on packaging. And how have you, how have you gone about protecting the idea? Um, so we have an IP strategy that we um, worked out quite early with our uh, IP attorneys. Um, so we have um, patented the product in Australia and put in applications in different markets across the world for um, patent protection. Uh, we also have uh, trademark Subo in, in the same areas in Australia and other countries around the world. So I would have imagined that you've got really strong advice, as, you know, from your from your um, your stakeholders in in that. Yeah, certainly, that was part of uh, I guess. One of the criteria in the grant application process is through the government, uh, the federal government grants, 
um, is that um, the, the product that we were looking to create was tightenable uh, and that it um, could be protected. Um, so uh, each one of those federal government grants, some of the funding went towards our IP um, management strategies. Mm. Yes, I imagine is that the more the idea starts to spread and to catch on, um, that the more that protecting the IP will become evident. Yeah, certainly. It's always, um, you know, a concern that someone will try and come up with a product similar to ours, but uh, we're confident in the um, patents that we've um, applied for. And, um, yeah, so we, yeah, we certainly hope that... Um, no doubt someone will, like that will, I think, happen at some stage. Um, but you can't spend your life worrying about what other people are doing. Um, we protected our design, um, and I guess um, what do they say that someone copying is the is the largest form of flattery. So we know we were the first and and things. So and uh, there, it's not an easy product to copy anyway through the manufacturing process. So yeah, but it's been our IP strategy is very strong thanks to the government grants. Mm, fantastic. Um, so, Glenn, you're now leaping full-time in the business from your role as an employee with another business in sales. How how are you making the leap from an employee to self-employment? Well, it's, I guess it's, um, we'll soon find out. So, um, at the end of this month, I'll be working on the business full-time and it's uh, quite an exciting time for us. We've got uh, plans to expand our product range, um, further develop our path to market. Um, currently, we have 15 online retailers. We're looking to, to expand that and also um, to get um, more product on the shelves in bricks and mortar stores. Um, so the plan for the next 12 months is to develop that and also uh, look at our exporting markets. Um, we've already had plenty of interest from people around the world that want to distribute SUBO in, um, in countries around the world. So um, I'm looking to develop that market as well in the next 12 months. I think too. Um, it's not until you take the leap. We've had so many people say to us, wow, I wish I could do that. And um, that how much courage it takes to take the leap. I think we minimise that side of it um, as we normally do. There was a plan and a time frame and an exit strategy. Um, it wasn't something that we just went, oh, all right, you're going to quit your job tomorrow. It was something that was planned. Um, and I guess we're moving from working in the business to working on the business and really driving it. So we're definitely at that point that it needs to be taken to the next level. Um, but, yeah, there's... I think a lot of people around you, when you do take the leap, remind you on how much courage it takes um, to take the leap and to back yourself and to sacrifice and to risk. Um, it's not easy. Like, we don't know what the, the next 12 months and or beyond um, is going to look for us, but we're willing to give it a go. Yes. And so did you have some targets in mind that you wanted to have, have hit or, you know, some forecasts that... You, you wanted to have in the pipeline of, of looking like that they were coming to fruition in order to make that leap or, you know, there's still uncertainty in that, but you, you sound like you, you're very calculated in the risks that you take. 
Yeah, so we've we certainly forecasted um, year one and, and nine months in, we've surpassed um, the target that we had set in year one. So I guess having passed that, that was an indication for us that yes, it's time for us to to make the leap and work on this full time and, and push a little bit harder. Um, so um, the goalposts have moved for us. We're, we're looking to speed up our plan to export and to um, look at bricks and mortar stores and uh, developing other paths to market within Australia as well. Yeah, we definitely, we're very much goal setters. So we have your short-term goals and your long-term goals, so your ultimate goal and then how you're going to get there. So, yeah, we've definitely uh, we've uh, mapped that out. So this is this has been a bit of a leap in the making, but how have you changed as people and as partners and as parents since taking the leap? Wow, um, I so many different answers to this. Yeah, so I think our time management skills yeah. and multitasking skills have certainly improved. Um, so we've we've managed, I guess. Um, know, being parents, business owners and employees to, to juggle that over the last few years. I think our confidence is growing too with this because we've had such great success to date. Um, I think we're seeing our potential and the potential of the of the, um, the product as well. So I guess that's how it changed us. We're not particularly overly confident people, but I think um, that's certainly changed us to think, yeah, we could do this. And I think that has definitely changed us as people as well and as parents as well because I know the kids see us, well, we talk about the business with the kids um, a lot and, you know, that you don't get given things in life and you have to work hard and because, you know, being a working parent, you your kids are like, you know, mummy, you're going to pick us up today from school and, you know, you've got to say no because I've got to work and um, or have a meeting or something. So they understand and also educating them. So I guess that's changed us as parents as well and, you know, involving the kids and when they are so young, they understand these life skills and things. Mm. So what would you what would you say to other people itching to take a leap? I'd say believe in yourself and surround yourself with successful people that are willing to boost you up and watch you succeed. Mm. And what does the next stage of your leap look like? Uh, so first, it's expanding our product range and developing our path to market um, and looking at the export market. We've um, got a lot of interest from countries all across the world that are um, asking for a product, so um, we're looking to expand to those regions. And also our product line. We'll have more products out there as well. And it's funny, every time I come to Glenn and say, do you know what we need to make? He looks at me and he's like, no, we're doing this one first. <laughs> Let's just back the track up. <laughs> so I have a little book in the study <laughs> with my ideas. <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, we'll definitely be driving that as well. So you need to shorten your showers for a while. Yes. <laughs> I might, I might Absolutely. Actually. Take the shower out of commission for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. know what might happen if she would have a bath. You could be in all sorts of trouble yeah. there. <laughs> That's right. Is that why you don't like me having a bath? <laughs> Absolutely. So from our from our chat tonight, 
uh, Julianne and Glenn, what three things would you like listeners to take away from our chat? Um, so I think just to make sure that you love the product or business that you're working with um, because you're going to spend a lot of time in it, so make sure that you, you really love it. Um, look for help out there because it, it's certainly out there and there's people that are willing to help. And uh, buy a Subo food bottle, support local business. <laughs> That's the biggest one. That should have been number one. <laughs> So for those people that do want to do that, where can they go to buy a Subo food container? Yes, so we have our own online e-commerce store, which is www.suboproducts.com.au. Our Facebook and Instagram handles are at Subo Products with an S. Um, And also we've got online retailers as well. So if you have a look through our Instagram and social media, um, it does with... regularly lists um, new new uh, retailers and suppliers coming on board. Um, so, yeah, there's a, a lot of our great retailers, you know, do great things like have free postage and, and things like that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's getting more and more accessible. And also, as Claire mentioned before, we'll be bringing on more bricks and mortar stores so you can go into store and uh, see it and, and feel it. And the, the quality of this product, I can't tell you how good it is. And that's something, some feedback that we get a lot. Um, is to be able to sort of see it and, and uh, to know that it really works. So Subo is S for Sam, U, B for Bob, O, right? Subo. That's correct. Yeah. That's and correct. what was the, what was the story? What was the story behind the name? So Subo is a Tagalog word. My uh, heritage, my my mother's from the Philippines, so um, the language in the Philippines is Tagalog. And uh, when I was very young, my mum would feed me and say subo, which in Tagalog means uh, to eat or to feed. So um, it's just a throwback to my early days of my mother feeding me. Beautiful. So what a, what a great tie-in. What a great way to um, bring some of your childhood into, into the product and into many, many more childhoods. Yeah, I think it really goes along with our ethos of our brand too is that, you know, we're very much a family business and, you know, we like to make things very personal for our customers and and things like that. So that's very, very important to us. So it's just sort of all tied in really well. Fantastic. Well, we've come to the end of our conversation. Um, So thank you so much. But before we go, we have a little thing that we do at the end of each of our podcasts called our 10 by 10, which is where we have 10 questions um, and you've got 10 seconds to answer each question. Um, are you ready to go with this, guys? Yeah, we are. So are we Are we each doing 10 or are we going to alternate here? What would you like to do? Would you like to, do, to respond to each or would you like to take turns and alternate? I think we'll just answer quickly each. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to do our 10 by 10 and you're going to each have a crack at answering our questions. Are we ready to go? Okay, sure. I'll go first. Okay. Or should we do ladies first? (laughs) I'll go first. Okay, let's get started. What I like about myself is? I'm not afraid to fail. And I would say that um, I have a good heart and I like to see people succeed. I beat procrastination by? Uh, By knowing not everything needs to be absolutely perfect. 
I'm the biggest procrastinator you'll ever meet, so I've never beat it. <laughs> a song on my life soundtrack is? Oh, I think this one we can answer yeah. together. So um, be Better Together, better together. Which is, um, our kids call it Mummy and Daddy, Daddy song. <laughs> a book that changed me is? A friend of mine gave me a book um, called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, I hate reading, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not great with books, but I did read once the Richard Branson biography. So, yeah, that was definitely changed me in my business mind. Well, if you're going to read just one book, that's probably a great one to read for yeah, an entrepreneur. Good one. Yeah. <laughs> Something everyone must do is? Buy a Subo. <laughs> and support small business. <laughs> The world needs more Subo bottles. Small businesses. <laughs> Fear and I hate each other. I am the biggest scaredy cat in the world. Fear and I. Oh, gee, that's a tough one. I've only got 10 seconds. Uh, you don't really have fear. Yeah. No. Fear and I don't exist. Yeah, yet. don't exist. A phrase I live by is? Uh, you only live once. And you treat others like you want to be treated. Something that always makes me feel good is? Uh, I'm an ice hockey player at heart, so being on the ice with the boys, I guess. I love frosty fruits, <laughs> so I generally, uh, yeah, a frosty fruit always makes things better. And the last one, number 10, my legacy will be? I think ours this will pretty much be the our, same, our family. Our family. Yeah, our we're, family is very, very important to both of us. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us tonight, Julianne and Glenn. And I wish you the very, very best in taking the leap forward and can't wait to see what happens on the Subo stage as it starts to take over the world. <laughs> Thanks so much, Kylie, for having us. It's been... Uh... Yeah, it's been really fun. And hopefully we can help someone out there. Like that's something that's very big with Glenn and I, um, paying it forward. Um, and to repay all the great people that have and continue to help us. So, yeah, hopefully we're going to help someone out there to take the leap and, and back yourself and have confidence. Great. We'll end it there. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kylie. Thanks, Kylie. That's all for this episode of In The Company. I hope you've enjoyed listening and tucked away a few gems to bring to your working life. To make sure you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to our channel. And if you've loved what you've heard today, please share it with your kinfolk who might also be in the need of some good company. And finally, if you feel so inclined, we'd be super grateful for a review on iTunes.